We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger, and this is your Week 17 preview: the Buffalo Bills versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Your time: 8:15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Monday Night Football. The place is Paul Brown Stadium. Actually, I think they call it something else, but I'm just I'm not going to bother looking it up. Fuck them. The weather is going to be a balmy mid-40s and raining. Paycor Stadium. Paycor. Of course. You know, Chris, whatever happened to calling a stadium by the owner's name? Ralph Wilson Stadium. Yeah. I liked that. I'll still call it that. Not Highmark. Fuck Highmark. Not only are they a grossly dysfunctional company who are hemorrhaging hundreds of employees due to mismanagement... Yep. But also, it has no soul. It has Highmark Stadium. If I asked you what Highmark is, do you even know what they do? Yeah, insurance, health insurance, I have it. Yeah. What does Paycor do? I don't know. No, no one knows. S- like, Sports Authority Field. <laughs> yeah. Sports Authority. When you, gotta you hear get that. got to get some money. Are they a magazine? Are they like a... No, it's a... Sports Authority is like a dicks. Obviously. And then they went defunct. Yeah. They went tits up. How many other bad stadium names can you think of? Uh, whatever they changed it in Pittsburgh. Oh, not, yeah. It's not Heinz Field not anymore. not Heinz Field. Heinz Field just worked. Yeah. And then we have the, I think, Atlanta and New Orleans both are Mercedes-Benz <laughs> Dome Stadium. Why is Mercedes like, it's like they didn't get their point across the first time? So like, hey, yeah. we well, sponsored one stadium and it didn't increase sales. What, Let's get a second one. What's the Miami Heat? FTX Arena? <laughs> like, 
I don't know what FTX is. It sounds like crypto. It is crypto. Oh, good. So that'll be in the tank soon, too. It already is in the tank because the owner of the company. <laughs> that guy got arrested. Yeah. Got arrested. Uh, yeah, it'll be a balmy 40-something and uh, raining, which sounds like a delightful time to watch a game, much less play in it. Chris, what do we got for a line on this bad boy? Bills minus one and a half <laughs> over under 49 and a half. Bills are road favorites. Yes. Not according to NFL.com's pickers, though. Look at the graphic I put in the notes for you, Chris. Yeah, I see everybody, two people, <laughs> Colleen Wolf and whoever K. Patra is, took the Bills. I mean, not for nothing. They both have winning records in the pick'em. All right. But, by and large, uh, Adam Rank, Daniel Jeremiah, Maurice Jones-Drew, Ed Holmes, Sessler, Grant Gordon, Shook, everybody believes that the Bengals are the better team in this one. Why do you think Vegas doesn't agree? I have no idea. I mean, Cincinnati is playing out of their mind lately. I don't know. Injuries might have something to do with it. Didn't they just lose a tackle? They got a lot of things going on. We're going to talk about all this. The crew for the game is Sean Smith. Now, normally, I don't have a lot to say about the refs beyond it, but it's notable because while he is in the middle of the league in terms of overall penalty yardage assessed, he owns the fourth largest disparity in terms of flags against the home, the flags against the home team versus flags against the away team. The away team gets way more flags than the home team in all like notably more in all the games that he officiates. In theory, Chris, shouldn't that be something that evens out over the course of 17 weeks? Probably. Like, hey, you're going to play some bad teams. You're also going to that, that are at home versus teams that are away, some teams that make mistakes, some teams, there shouldn't be a 20-call disparity no. or a 25-call disparity between this. That's something that's going to, you know, the Bills are coming off their worst game of the season in that regard. Who do we have on the call, Chris? Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. The in- Joe Buck. You forget that he moved to ESPN. Yeah, it still, it still seems weird. Yeah. I don't like it. Cincinnati, Buffalo, injuries. Right tackle Lyle Collins for the out for the season for the Bengals with an ACL tear. And it's interesting because he did the same thing Von Miller did. In Detroit? No, no, no. Well, listen. So they, they went to him after the game and he was like, oh, it's a pate- it's a patella injury. It's like a PCL injury could keep me out. He basically self-assessed and made a comment to the media about how I think I'll be back sooner than later. Then they went in to do the exploratory surgery and found out, oh, shit, you tore your ACL. All right, you're just done. Got it. Notice that there's no screaming from Cincy fans. I guess, does that mean he's not good? Well, maybe. But also, it's just like, look, guys, sometimes these guys think they know their body. Most of it comes from a competitive mindset. Tight end Hayden Hurst, he's probable with a concussion. He's going to make his return. Defensive end Sam Hubbard is probable to rejoin the team with a calf injury. For Buffalo, center Mitch Morse, questionable with a concussion. Defensive tackle Jordan Phillips, questionable with a shoulder injury, which he re-injured during the Chicago game. If you want the details on that and what all that entails, you go over to bangedupbills.com. And defensive end Boogie Basham. Chris, why was he out? I don't know. I did not know that I did not notice that he was gone. Of course you didn't. Yeah. 
Now, before we get any farther down this rabbit hole, talking about the Cincinnati Bengals game, I want to get this out of the way right off the top. To hell with Cincinnati. Chris, I got a whole list of things about Cincinnati as a city that just suck, right? Do you want the one positive? Might as well. Hootie Delight. That is true. Chris, regale our listeners with the tale of Hootie Delight. So in 2017... Our first remote podcast. First remote... Yeah, it was our first remote podcast. I was in a hotel room just outside of Cincinnati, Kentucky, doing some training at the Mazak uh, school. They, you know, they make CNC machines, so they also have a school, and you can take class. So I was taking a programming class, and I ended up going on a Wednesday night to watch the... I have it right here, actually. Wednesday, December 7th, 2016, I still have the ticket, Cincinnati Cyclones and the Fort Wayne Comets. Now, I got to the arena, and it was Dollar Beer Night, and they had two (laughs) options. First of all, Dollar Beer Night here in Buffalo for any... I don't care what the sporting... I don't care what the event is. You could be telling me that it was just two fat guys racing in a backyard. If you told me you were selling dollar beers during the event, I'd be there. Yeah, so I had two options to choose from. Miller High Life... Not drinking that. And then the other thing was Hootie Delight, which almost everyone in the arena was drinking. Now, for Rock Pile Report attorney Mark Smith, I want you to hear this. In one of the most garbage cities in the entire nation, even those people wouldn't drink Dollar Miller High Lives. Yeah, I remember during the game that somebody had built a Hootie Delight pyramid on the glass. (laughs) And then, obviously, somebody got checked into the boards, and it blew up everywhere, and we all cheered. <laughs> but I did end up bringing back two cases of Hootie Delight, because I drove down so I could take all the podcast equipment so we could do a podcast. So, yeah, that happened. Well, you're also, as we're about to touch on, you're lucky you drove, Chris. And Hootie Delight probably is the best thing to come out of Cincinnati. Like, that's it. The Bengals included. I'm going to give you, I'm going to regale you with all of the things about Cincy that suck and let you be the judge as to whether or not I'm being too heavy handed with all of the ways that I hate the state of Ohio and this one of the, this city in particular. First of all, Jerry Springer is not only from Cincy, but these jerk offs actually voted him mayor, right? Uh, it was a PR stunt that was meant to revive his TV career that he ran for mayor and these idiots voted him in. Now, Chris, we here in Buffalo might have given T.O. the key to the city. Yeah. But holy shit, we didn't let him run local government. (laughs) Charles Manson, born there. University of Cincy Academic Health Center. Boom. Charlie Manson. So you put a reality TV host in as mayor, and you also gave birth to a serial, like one of the most prominent serial killers ever. Great. Wonderful. Uh, Now, Chris, as I just touched on, they're a city. You said you drove down to Cincy? Yeah, I chose to because podcast. Well, it's a good thing. They don't have their own airport. You actually have to fly into Kentucky and then drive into Cincinnati. Chris, what kind of a city doesn't have its own airport? Uh, I don't know. Is is it technically considered Cincinnati's airport? It's just in it's Kentucky. It's in Kentucky. You have to fly into Kentucky. Like Starkville, Mississippi. 
right? Home of Mississippi State, the Bulldogs. Whenever I would go down there to visit my buddy Neil and go to games and hang out and drink for entire weekends at a time, I would have to fly into Tupelo, home of Elvis. That's the only thing they were famous for. And it was a small regional airport where they literally would bring out a state like your plane would land and they would bring stairs out onto the tarmac. And that's how you got on and off the plane. I like it. Like you just walked across the tarmac into this tiny little airport. Even that place had its own airport. And yet somehow Cincinnati can't get that. Okay. Like I once started a drunken argument with some Ohioans at a Columbus sports bar that if Kentucky had any stones whatsoever, they already have the airport. They should just finish the deal and annex Cincinnati altogether. Chris, would anyone notice or care? I don't think so. Well, Buffalo is known for smelling like Cheerios because we have the General Mills plant downtown. Cincinnati has been described as the following by its own residents. Chris, read the tweets that I curated. Uh, Temps... Temp spas, for some reason, it smells like Dracar Noir and stale KFC buckets in Cincinnati today. <laughs> and then Harris Shafiq, Cincinnati smells like smoke and turtlenecks. <laughs> now, those tweets are from 2017. And just two months ago, over at Cincinnati's Reddit page, there was a thread entitled, Weird Stench in the Air? In which over 128 people commented on the foul odor downtown and just postulating about what the cause could be. The city council there has blamed pollution. They've blamed trees blooming, fertilizer smells. But year after year after year, it's still happening. It's almost like the whole city's been Dutch ovened by this for so long. They've given up on trying to fix it. They just deal with it. Like, hey, it's been five years, and our, our city smells like something terrible all the time. We're not going to do anything about it, though. It, there's so many options, it takes too much work to fix it. Chris, that sounds like a place you want to live, doesn't it? I would never live in Cincinnati. Here's a good one. Chris, all the shit I've talked about Skyline Chili, I found out today, today, the year of our Lord, 2022, that there's another option for this ridiculous brand of cuisine. Oh, I saw that in our notification. Yep, right there. Gold, Gold Star. Star Chili. Look at this. What did this person say? Randall Potts on Twitter comes back and says, most say Skyline is the best chili, but that's mid compared to Gold Star. Oh, good. I have been. So there's another shitty brand of chili. Well, when I was in... Cincinnati for work in 2016. I did ask one of our instructors. I go, where is the best place to get this Cincinnati chili? And the old guy said, you go to Skyline. I was like, all right. And then I ate it and I was like, okay, this is like, uh, this is like comparable to the garbage plate. this is well it is because it's the same sauce there's allspice nutmeg and cinnamon with baker's chocolate listen if you're gonna put baker's chocolate allspice and nutmeg into something you you sure as hell better be baking me some fucking cookies don't you dare put a plate of spaghetti with chili and cheese unmelted cheese who the fuck came up with this like it's like this is a lot like the jim gaffigan bit 
Or he's like, oh, if you someone put puts candles in a cake, everyone goes, ooh, great. You put candles in a pie, and they go, someone got drunk in the kitchen. That's what Skyline Chili is. They're like, oh, someone got wasted on their way to making real chili, and this abomination came out. Now, right, this is relevant because, as some of you might have seen on Twitter, over at Rockpile Report, Rock Power Report attorney Mark Smith brought me a Christmas present to the tailgate for our most recent football game, Chris. Why don't you tell him what it was? Uh, there's a video of it on Twitter somewhere. You'd have to go way back in our timeline to the Miami game, but you got your four-pack of Skyline Chili. Thus began an argument, and a bet was made. Me being the drunken pessimist that I am, if the Bills win this game, I have to eat a can of that chili at the Patriots tailgate. That'll be a fun time. I can't wait for that. Chris, too bad I'm not going to be there. Your thoughts. Uh, you're going to love it. Safe wager? You have to eat. You can't have like a spoonful out of the can. You have to eat the whole can. Oh, no. Yeah, you got to eat the whole thing. Now, here's a question, though, because if, if, if the Bills lose, Mark has to eat it. Who do you feel right now? most confident in saying is going to be filling their mouth with some of the, and you think about how it gets served <coughs> spaghetti yep meat beanless chili unmelted that would be that would be the best chili unmelted cheese like melted cheese at least is like smooth it could kind of soften some of the sharpness of those seasonings that they choose to throw in there it wouldn't be chewy the way unmelted cheese is yeah, I feel like you took a dish that was already bad and made it worse. <laughs> that is possible. Like, that's ridiculous. Who do you think is going to be eating Skyline Chili? You. You're, you're sure about that? Yeah, because you deserve it. <sighs> well, let's break down these matchups and see if at the end of the show you still feel the same way. We'll start with the offense for the Cincinnati Bengals. And one of the things that fans are going to see when the game opens up... <laughs> These two teams have a lot in common. Like the Bills, the Bengals run a ton of 11 personnel. That's in part because their head coach's offensive beliefs are that space matter in terms of uh, passing the football, spacing rather than just, hey, let's throw 50-50 balls or go balls. And because they have a quarterback who you want to see attacking a defense. And also because the overall quality of their depth chart in terms of skill players is absurd. They have almost three 1,000-yard receivers on the same roster at the same time. Chris, when's the last time you've heard of that? Say it again. Three 1,000-yard receivers on the same roster at the same time. I would have to think it was Cincinnati. Didn't they have, like, Boyd, Chad Johnson, and Hushmanzada at the same time? But Hushmanzada was at the tail end of his career at that point. He was only like a he was a he was a like small time possession receiver by that point. That's all my only that's my only guess I can think of off to the top of my head because I feel like we've talked about that before. Jar Chase just under a thousand yards despite missing multiple games and has eight touchdowns. Higgins already over the thousand yard mark leads the team with seven touchdowns. Tyler Boyd is now the resident quote unquote old guy. Only 711 yards and five touchdowns. 
which still outpaces most NFL teams' second wide receiver, never mind the third option. I've already watched fans do a lot of hand-wringing over Dane Jackson's presence in a matchup like this. Do you agree with some of that? That's going to be scary, Dane Jackson in coverage against T. Higgins. <laughs> I Realistically, there's not a lot you're going to be able to do to hide him or any of the young and probably under-talented compared to their opponent, members of this Bills secondary, when you're talking about a wide receiver group this good. You just can't get away from it. They're going to be in your face. They're going to be there. Hayden Hurst. There's a reason There's a reason Hayden Hurst has played for multiple teams before actually having a season where he mattered until now. Right? Yeah. It's because he's playing on a team that has these monsters at wide receiver. Hayden Hurst all of a sudden matters as a tight end. What, he was drafted first in the first round by the by the Ravens? Sounds about right. Ravens like drafting first round tight ends. And then I feel like he went to Atlanta. Yep. And then from there he went to Cincy. Did nothing his first year. Now he's all of a sudden relevant. I don't know. You're going to have to do a lot of things schematically in order to cope with this. I expect to see a lot of zone defense for pass rushers. Basically, like what what we did when we played the Chiefs. Although without Von Miller around, Frazier's probably going to be forced to mix in blitzes from the second level with Milano, Edmonds, probably a slot corner blitz or two, just in an effort to disrupt Burrow. Playing this team in man coverage, is, is it's, it's a death sentence. It's a non-starter. Because most teams don't have a guy, right? Most teams don't. Even, like, Chris, if Trey White was back to playing the type of football he was playing last year, he would have a hard time playing man coverage for an entire game against a Jamar Chase or a T. Higgins. Never mind both of them and three really good wide receivers all at the same time. They're going to have to play a lot of zone. Now, the Bills could get creative. They could opt to take Teron Johnson off the field. And in situations where they know they're going to press and blitz with a linebacker, blitz a slot corner, or out of a dime look, they could put out a rotation of our three bigger cornerbacks, Dane, Kyer, and Trey, and throw some pressure in the face of Burrow. But are the relatively conservative, Chris. I, I just don't see a world where Frazier does that to you. I don't know. You're asking the wrong guy. Bedford's availability is something to watch, considering they could, in theory, activate him this week off IR for the game. What's the uh, IR rule again? How many can you activate? Is there a limit to how many you can activate off IR? No, there's no limit. There's simply a uh, there's simply a look at the because uh, I feel like that's we've seen Hyde practicing off to the side. I didn't know if there was a limit. Be- that's why I asked because I'm sure they're going to look at bringing Hyde back at some point if possible. Well, Hyde, you know, again, go to bangedupbills.com. He's got a lot of information regarding Hyde's recovery timetable. Even if they were to get aggressive, what that would look like in terms of the playoff run. But Benford is definitely a guy who's on their radar for coming back. It's, I think it's why they IR'd him. They were like, we want to know that you're 100% healthy because you've established yourself as, like, remember, they trusted him over Kyrie Elam. Yes. We want you healthy for the playoff run that, that we feel is inevitable. So they IR'd him so we could get there. 
Jameson Crowder is still out there. There's there's players we could turn to that could change some of what we do. That'll be something to watch in the run-up to this game. So the reality is you're not going to be able to match up player for player, skill set for skill set with this wide receiver group. So you're going to have to do a lot of things schematically. You're going to have to run a lot of games in the secondary from pre to post snap. For example, showing a too high look, then rotating a safety down into the box and blitzing a linebacker. Or saying, hey, we watched you line up at 11 personnel with a stack to the right side. Your linebacker, your running back is in the backfield on that stacked side. What we're going to do is we're going to shade everybody to that side. We're going to make it look pre-snap like we're doing the too high. You know, and then when we rotate down, we're going to send pressure, but also buzz the flat with the linebacker underneath. Now you've pushed Joe Burrow to that side, but you've given him no quick check down option. That's how you disrupt this team, right? He now has to work backwards through his progressions to try to figure out, okay, I went from one to two to three, but now I got to go back to try to find two or find one. Tampa and New England both use concepts like that successfully over the last couple of weeks to force sacks and throwaways and try to force defensive stops. They also, if you're talking about the Bengals, they do a lot of things out of similar formations, a lot like Buffalo, in an effort to try to wreak havoc on opponents' linebacker cores. The Bengals are not a great rushing football team. They're not. Joe, anybody who drafted Joe Mixon in fantasy football probably isn't still playing. He's got moves inside of Zaxby's. <laughs> that might be one of the best one-liners you've ever hit me with. <laughs> I mean, everybody drafted him for what he had done the previous year. Yeah, a bunch of touchdowns that it turns out were a lot of short yardage opportunities and things like that, that the wide receiver course set him up for. When asked to do a lot of things on his own, not not so great. Not so great. But when they've had success, uh, you know, you look back at the most recently, it's been the KC game and the Cleveland game. It's because, A, you're playing bad run defenses, and it's because they trot out a lot of the same three and four wide receiver formations that they throw out of. And they force your linebackers to commit to thinking that their primary responsibility is going to have to be zone. Because you go, oh, well, I, if if you, you have Dane Jackson. Dane Jackson's your boundary corner lined up across from Jamar Chase. Tremaine Edmonds is going to look at that and go, if they call a slant with Chase, I'm, I have to be here. Like, I, I can't vacate my spot and just give him the inside to potentially go right up the middle against our safeties. Once you get linebackers thinking that way, it really changes the way they play football. So now what happens is that linebackers thinking, my I have to be aware of my zone responsibility. And then they hit them with a run to the weak side of the formation where now the linebackers who maybe cheated a little bit or even just were already thinking pass have to scramble to try to come across the face of the formation and make a tackle. It's been good for three to four, five yards, which is enough to move chains, which is why their run is effective. And that's it. It's We do it. We've done it to teams all season. I'm more worried about mixing as a pass catcher than a runner. And if we're being honest, I don't know. I think that we should do a good job hemming the ground game in. If we don't, this thing... If we don't, it means this thing turned into a fucking route. But if we do, right, I, I really do believe it. It's not going to be for the Bengals' lack of trying. 
It's not going to be the primary way they move the football, but they will mix it in consistently just to keep our linebackers honest and move the chains and opportunities where maybe they shouldn't. I mean, so when you look at the, their offense, they are a very similar team to Buffalo in terms of philosophy, just with better weapons at wide receiver and a quarterback who can sling the rock with the best of them. But that doesn't make them infallible. And it's the guy under center who bears some of the blame for that. Now, stop me if you've heard this before. Chris, the Bengals take a lot of sacks. Did you I, know this? I, I've heard of that happening. He's the most contacted, Joe Burrow, most contacted quarterback in the NFL since he joined the league back in 2020. And it's by a pretty wide margin. I believe it. Is this like the most sacks <laughs> since entering the league in relation to David Carr? It might, it's David Carr-esque. I'll put it that way. I haven't done the research to say that definitively, but what I will say is that nobody's getting their ass kicked like Joe Burrow on, a, on the average Sunday. Part of the problem, right? Well, and first of all, he was on pace to lead the NFL in sacks again this year. Now he's settled into about fifth place, and that's part of this dynamic. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Part of it is that Burrow has athleticism, but not a ton of it. I mean, he's Mac Jones-esque in terms of his overall athletic prowess. And for a while this year, like, you saw it. He's got this gunslinger mentality. And, Chris, they shuffled that offensive line a lot in the offseason. Yeah. Early on, he, it took them a while to gel, and he was getting his ass kicked back there. Right? And that shouldn't come as a surprise. It takes a minute for new offensive linemen to get used to each other, correct or incorrect? It does. Look at our O-line. You mix that in with a guy who's got a gunslinger mentality and not a t- You can get yourself in trouble very quickly. Sometimes he tries to extend plays for too long, he doesn't throw it away, or he just stays in the pocket too long, waiting for something to open up because he trusts those skill players so much. The interesting thing is that him and his offensive line have turned over something of a new leaf down the stretch here during their seven-game winning streak. Through the first eight games, Burrow was averaging 3.6 sacks per game and a 17-6 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. During their last seven, where they've won them all, he's averaging just 1.4 sacks per game taken, but still has the same 17-6 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. Two things to unpack here. 
the decrease in sacks, and the oddly symmetrical touchdown-interception ratio. Their line seems to have finally gotten their shit together right before losing their starting right tackle this past week. Burrow seems to have learned a little bit what situations he can rely on them in and take a few liberties, and when he's probably best advised to just check it down, throw it away, and avoid a negative play. There's also something to be said for the makeup of the Lions he's played and how they match up against Bengals' new offensive line. I went back to an article from Arrowhead Pride, which is the SB Nation affiliate for Kansas City, to an article by Nate Christensen bemoaning the idea that the reason that the Chiefs cannot beat Joe Burrow because Chris, what is he, 3-0 now? Yeah. The reason that they can't beat him is that their defensive end archetype is a kind of player that Joe Burrow does really well against. And I drew some parallels to the Buffalo defense. You see, to hear him tell the story, Kansas City prioritizes three things. Height, weight, and arm length in all their defensive ends. Their system calls for defensive ends that don't shoot around a tackle and get a speed sack, right? They don't come around the arc quickly. Instead, what they do is just use power and bend the pocket closed so that there's no escape routes and then clean up on the interior of the line. Sounds about right. Like, we've watched that. It's part of the reason that they've been effective against Josh Allen is because they can close off his escapability and his ability to get outside the pocket and do the things that he does best. Rather than bend the speedy, explosive pass rushers that just burn around to tackle. The guy went on to articulate that that type of defensive end is going to struggle against Burrow because, well, he's not Allen. He's got mobility inside of a dirty pocket, and defensive ends like theirs don't have the speed to chase him down when he does get away. And as a final note, he talked about how the Chiefs defensive ends kept failing to win via bull rush and all the instances that led to big plays against their zone coverage due to them just failing to get their hands on him in those circumstances. It sounds an awful lot to me like how the Bills are built. Look at Roussel. Big guy. Long limbs. Not a twitchy athlete. He wins with technique and power. Basham. He's a guy who rotates inside. Low center of gravity, heavy hands, wins with power. Epinesa, a defensive end that literally carved out, like they took a guy who was supposed to be Cam Hayward and trimmed him down to play 4-3 defensive end. Shows a little bit of speed occasionally, but more often it's power, hands, and technique. Shaq Lawson, Chris, exactly the same. Yep. Athleticism, instincts, but again, it's not finesse and speed, it's physicality. I have a feeling that the Bills are going to have a tough time getting away with a four-man pass rush without Von Miller in this one. Given the conservative nature of how our head coach and defensive coordinator operate, I don't expect to see them dramatically change their approach and play a ton of man, but even with the right tackle being replaced, I don't expect all of these pressures to rack up because I don't think our defensive end room is built in the way that would promote a lot of that. This is the game where we're going to need our defensive tackles to stand. That whole room is going to have to stand on its head to carry water for these guys. And how well they as a unit do is going to go a long way towards determining who's going to leave with the W. The other thing, the fact that better protection hasn't resulted in fewer turnovers, 
that's where I think the Bills have an advantage here. It's all Burrow. And it's proof that even if it doesn't show up in the box score, pressure is going to be a key to winning this game. Like, he makes mistakes. He still makes critical mistakes. And they're not for a lack of arm talent, but usually situations where he's under pressure and he still wants to try to force a play into coverage. You go back and rewatch that clip of the pick six against the Patriots this last week. There's a clip afterwards of him having a really heated discussion with Jamar Chase on the sideline. Almost like he expected Jamar Chase to recognize, hey, I'm in trouble. You need to come back to the ball when I throw it there. But Chris, is that actually on the wide receiver? The wide receiver's like, oh, hey, I saw you in trouble. I figured you'd just throw it away. Yeah. Because that's the smart thing. Yeah. He also has at least one interception in each of his last three games. Like, I think that that stuff is noteworthy. This is a guy who's not, you know, people give Josh Allen a lot of shit, myself included, for so many turnovers. He threw, two, what, two picks against the Bears? I'm, uh, Pick in the end zone? Yeah. Pick to a linebacker that set up a field goal? Yeah, it makes sense. Joe Burrow's not playing better. <laughs> He's still making the same hack mistakes. So... It, you see the box scores, you hear all the hype from the media, but it's not like he's playing clean football either. And just because his protection is better doesn't mean Burrow can't make a few mistakes along the way. I don't know. This Bills defense just has to get in his face enough to force him to press. And I like the matchup of a flustered Joe Burrow against our linebackers and safeties in this game if we can make it happen. On the other side of the football, if we're talking about defense, when you look over the scoring from the Bengals over the course of the season, you see the type of results you'd expect from an upper echelon football team. They've beaten the quarterbacks that a good defense should beat. Teddy Bridgewater, Zach Wilson, Marcus Mariota, Ryan Tannehill, Deshaun Watson. They held them all under 20 points. They've allowed just two of their last six opponents to rush for over 100 yards. They have at least one turnover in their last four straight games. They're doing all the things that you would expect a playoff caliber, championship caliber defense to do. But nobody in the NFL is perfect on defense, and neither are these guys. Their best pass rush options are all nursing injuries and working their way back. Trey Hendrickson has a broken wrist. I thought that would sideline him, but I, I Chris, I got to give him credit. That son of a bitch is going to try to play through it. Yeah. Right By his own admission, he did an interview. He laughed about it. said, listen, the doctors told me it can't get more broken. Now it's just a pain tolerance thing. This guy is going to try to gut out a broken wrist. I mean, didn't Jerry Hughes need surgery on like a wrist fracture? I think so. <laughs> and it was a wrist fracture that none of us knew about. But yeah. We, we He played the season. So it can be done. But also, you look at the snap counts, he's already been demoted to defensive end three. He only saw 24 snaps against the Patriots. Sam Hubbard, their sack leader, he has a calf injury. They thought it might interfere with the playoffs. Now he's being called day-to-day. How much of this might be them trying to rush him back? I could see that them trying to rush him back. That makes sense. Does you need, it, though? You need all the weapons. Okay, but if you have a calf muscle injury that you could absolutely exacerbate, are you willing to gamble in the regular season when you're already locked in as a top three seed? Yeah. 
Because it's it's still going to be matchup. If you're a three seed, how good is that six seed? Or if you're the two seed, how dangerous is that seven seed? I don't know. I can't imagine that even if he plays, he'll be 100%. And it's likely that if he does play, he'll be mixed in like Hendrickson. So you take a look at that and you go, their starting defensive tackles aren't pass rushers. They're space eaters. They're not going to have an answer, quote unquote, to creating pressure in this game. No one else on their roster has more than three sacks or 32 pressures this season. And the defensive ends, uh, Cam Sample and Joseph Asai, are going to be who are kind of being forced into a starting role here. They have less than 20 individual pressures between the two of them. That's a problem when it comes to trying to wrangle Josh Allen. Because if they try and blitz our quarterback, he's one of the NFL's most effective quarterback in those situations. Unless it's the Bears and Dorsey has his head up his ass. If their plan is, like Buffalo's probably will be, to win with four and limit the damage done with the players behind him, then this linebacking core is ripe for the picking. Their starters, Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt, never come off the field. They play the, you know, what was it? Logan Wilson played 100% of their snaps last week. Jermaine Pratt was up in like the high 80s. Wilson has allowed better than a 75% catch percentage in every single one of his games since week five. Over the last couple weeks, week 12 against Kansas City, three of four, 30 yards and a touchdown. Week 13 against Cleveland, seven of seven for 60 yards. Week 14 against Tampa, 8 of 8 for 80 yards. Chris, not not exactly a coverage guy, eh? No, but uh, those don't look like good stats. Meanwhile, Jermaine Pratt, more of a pursuit linebacker, not really a force at or around the line of scrimmage. Just six tackles for loss in the season compared to, like, Matt Milano's 12. Like, that's, like, that's, he's not that type of linebacker. In fact, the two of him, Wilson and Pratt, combined for just nine tackles for loss on the season. They don't penetrate the line of scrimmage. They don't have a ton of pressures to their credit. The Bengals don't use them in an attacking manner. They're more asked to just patrol and chase to try to limit chunk yardage. The lax nature of their linebacker usage could be affected by the presence of Josh Allen and the injuries to the defensive line. You know, But just last week... You know, when they were asking Bill Belichick in this presser up in the run-up to Bill's uh, to Bengals Patriots, he was asked about, well, how do you think these injuries are going to affect the, you know, change the Bengals game plan? And he basically told the journalist, look, Lou, Lou, their defensive coordinator, he's a creature of habit. He doesn't change much. And sure enough, they didn't blitz a ton. They didn't do anything differently to try to make up for it. So I don't think you're going to see that. Right? Like, if they do, like you as a defensive coordinator are put in a tough spot. You're going to have to consider using them to augment the pass rush. But you recognize the liability that creates. I think instead they're going to leave them back there just to play zone, try to make sure Allen can't run. You know, try to... Chris, that makes the most sense, doesn't it? It does. Hey, we're not going to force pressure. We're just going to play a ton of zone and hope nobody breaks down. But when they do that, like, you look at the stats. Since he is fifth in DVOA on deep passes, their safeties are great. Not a lot gets past them. We remember that. Hyden Poyer have been doing that for us for years. 
on short passes. Football Outsiders has them ranked as the 17th best. They allow 8.6 yards per play action pass attempt. 28th in the NFL, Chris. If you run play action at this defense and you get the ball, hey, we confused your linebackers for a split second, got the ball into space, and let guys run at them. Guess what? They're one of the league's worst defenses in rallying to the ball and tackling well. They, a lot of times, have gotten by because their safety group is so strong. Like That's cool. You can play single high. You can get away with a lot of cheating inside the box of your safeties when you're playing a team like New England, like Baltimore, who's not going to threaten you down the seam. When you're playing the Steelers, when you're playing a... You know who you can't do that with? Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. I think that the way they're going to be forced to deploy their safeties in this game is going to make this linebacking core a giant. Like, they're going to be the weak link of the entire defense. And that's the place Buffalo can do the most damage. And that brings me to the keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. You have to turn your running backs into genuine weapons in this game. Dorsey is going to have to strive for balance in his aggression on downfield passing. We cannot have a repeat of Chicago where we spent way too much of the game trying to challenge him downfield with really problematic results. Chris, problematic like like Buffalo Twitter after the snowstorm problematic. Or you after losses. Fair. Or wins, depending on fair how we won. Fair. These are all fair statements. When you like with the quality of Cincy safeties, that's an absolute possibility. Now, like we just discussed, the Bengals short area defense and linebacker core is a place where Buffalo should be able to make hay over the and over the last few weeks, we've watched these Bills running backs really come into their own. Their yards before contact against light boxes has skyrocketed. Including this blistering performance we just saw against Chicago, where they were one James Cook yard shy of having dual 100-yard running backs. When's the last time that's happened? Can you remember a time where the the Bills have always had good running backs? Yeah, we have. When's the last time you saw two with 100 yards in the same game? Maybe Fred Jackson and Lynch and Spiller? Any of those combos? I don't think so. That would be my guess. It's it's been a while. I bet I can find one when we, since we have been podcasting. I'll take your bet on that. Want to put a Seagrams on it? I mean, I don't have. You still owe me a Dawson Knox Seagrams. I don't have any. I got to go to consumers. But I believe in the 2016 season we had a hell of a run run game against. I want to say it was San Francisco. That we played. Well, there was a there was the game where we had the uh, what's his face, uh, the guy who smoked and ate his way out of the uh, off the Bills roster. Yeah, fifth round draft pick. Ah, oh, shit. People are, it was pe- against the Dolphins. People are yelling know. at us. Yeah, call in if you know. But here's what I do. Like when you look at this, our running backs and our offensive line have done kind of what they did last year. Down the stretch, they've gelled. They're putting together their best performances when it matters the most. Given the state of the linebacking core, 
and where I think just the commitment that that team is going to make to trying to keep us from going down the field with the pass and knowing that they don't have a great pass rush in order to do that, they're going to kind of leave these linebackers on their own to manage it. And I think with James Cook's speed and Devin Singletary's vision and contact balance, there is no reason that you shouldn't be able to, and you kind of have to, turn them into a focal point of your attack. At least early. In 2016, we beat the 49ers 45-16 to here in Buffalo. LaShawn McCoy was over 100 yards rushing, and that was it even though we had 313 yards on the ground. He's the only 100-yard rusher? Yeah. <laughs> that was the only game I was, I was that came to my mind that I feel like looking up right now. Well, I can't wait till you go back, get Seagrams. We can share them together. All right. It'll be fun. Next key to victory, quick pressure and pressure off tackle. Whoever manages the pressure game is probably going to be in the driver's seat for the entire thing. The Bengals are coming off a win over the Patriots where despite two sacks, I mean, Josh Uche got one, Matthew Judon got one. They are the heavy hitters for the Patriots, correct? Yeah. But by and large, over the course of the game, they had a really hard time making a true impact on enough downs to stop their offense. Meanwhile, the Bills are just okay at offensive tackle and pass protection. And... Both Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard might be available. Chris, I could see a world where they try to put them out there and just just only play like second long, third long, those types of scenarios. The Bills should, in theory, have an advantage in this department. Jonah Williams, the left tackle, roll tide, <laughs> the left tackle for Cincinnati. He's given up 11 sacks, more than double that of our own Deion Dawkins. Lyle Collins is out for the season. And before that, he gave up five. His replacement is raw, and he's probably going to be less than adept in those sorts of, you know, in pressure situations. You look at Dawkins, he's got three, and he has allowed half the pressures of Jonah Williams. Spencer Brown's unlikely to be left on an island very often, and the Bills also stand to benefit from the lack of health among the Bengals' top defensive ends. It's going to be up to Frazier to figure out how to ensure that our front seven and defensive line is disruptive throughout the game, not just in spots, not just... Chris, we're talking about a team that's so talented. How many sacks? What was it? Nine sacks in a playoff victory against Tennessee last year? Sounds about right. It was nine. I think the number was nine sacks, which sounds absurd. It sounds like I'm making this up. I got it. I don't know if it's the last time, but November 8th, 2015, we beat, and that was our first season podcasting, we beat Miami 33-17. to 17. And... Carlos Williams? That's the guy that you're thinking of. Carlos Williams and LaShawn McCoy. McCoy, 112 yards rushing. Carlos Williams, 110. Ah, fuck. Carlos Williams, 110 on nine carries. McCoy's 112 were on 16 That's the game. carries. That's the game where I got hammered and called WGR. Makes sense. And just, just stream of consciousness just lost it on him when they actually put me on air. And I called in to tell Bulldog the story years later, and he laughed so hard. I was like, because I finally got to hear the other end of that call, because Drunken Me just hung up. So then I went back and listened to it, because I was like, I bet you I made at least one or two salient points. Nope. 
Nope. I was just a screaming idiot like I do on this podcast a lot. And when I hung up, there was just a moment of silence. And Mike Shope gave it a breath and then just went, Welp, that happened. On to the next caller. And when I told Bulldog that, it made him laugh so hard. Because between the two of them, Chris, true or false, Mike Shope is kind of insufferable. He is. But you can tell Chris Parker's just kind of a dude. Yeah, he's a guy you'd have a beer with. So it, it had to tickle him to be like, I can picture us both being here. The way you describe that call and us just having literally no words. Like, I don't have any words to describe what just got launched at me. I digress. You look at how these two teams are going to have to handle this. The reason pressure is so important is because this Bengals offense is designed to go down the field, as evidenced by a couple stats I'm going to throw at you. Gabe Davis is the fifth wide receiver in the NFL in terms of average depth of target. He's just over 16 yards per pass. He's our go-to down-the-field option, and he could have some really great numbers if he just had better hands and instincts. The next closest player to him is Diggs with 11.5, and beyond that, everybody else is behind nine. Meanwhile, for Cincy, their three most targeted players committed 11.2, 9.8, and 9.9. It underscores for you that the entire body of their passing game is to try and work for those 10 to 20-yard windows. And you can't blame them, right? If you have that wide receiver talent, you're going to want to put it on defenders that, Chris, it's like college football at this point with the Cincy group. When you get to a team's third quarterback going up against Jamar Chase, mismatch. Yeah. Against Tyler Boyd, still maybe a mismatch. T. Higgins with his size, his contested catchability. When you go back over their narrow win over the Patriots last weekend, you could watch it happen where after dominating the first half, Belichick went into the locker room, came out with a new pressure package, got a lot of A-gap pressure, and overloaded a, a certain tackle with coverage to the side they were pushing Burrow to and just forced him to try to make decisions and throw on the run. The result was the second half where after scoring like on all but one of their first half drives, the Bengals punted three times, threw a pick six on a poorly timed shallow throw, and allowed the Patriots to orchestrate long enough scoring drives of their own that they almost won the fucking game. That is the way you protect this secondary from those monsters at wide receiver. You're never going to be able to cover them, right? You don't hope and pray for solid coverage. You try to bully Burrow into utilizing his other targets, getting rid of the ball faster than he wants to, force the Bengals into a more conservative offensive approach. Now, we can do that, right? Especially with a new right tackle stepping in for his first start of the season. Yep. Overload that side of the line, force Burrow to his left. He's statistically worse throwing to that side of the field. Inside pressure. You combine the tackle issues with pressure in the A-gap. That's why Jordan Phillips' health is going to be huge for this game. And Ed Oliver is going to have to have an all-time performance. I think there will be opportunities there for this team to get pressure and to disrupt this team, but they're going to have to sustain it for four quarters. So far, there haven't been many teams up to that over the last two months of football. The last one I have is you attack the corners who don't have obvious safety help. In losing their second cornerback, Chidobia Woozy, probably about a month ago, 
the team was forced to put rookie Cam Taylor Britt into action, and the results, they've been really up and down. He's tied for the team lead in touchdowns, but he's played 250 fewer coverage snaps than the other two guys on the roster that he's tied with. He gives up at least 50% of his targets over the last three weeks to teams with pretty mediocre passing attacks. We're talking about Tom Brady down in Tampa, Watson, who's rusty, Mac Jones, Chris, Mac Jones completed 50% of his passes on this DB. Nice. Eli Apple, he's an okay number one corner, but he's far from a shutdown talent. He's gotten beaten up for yardage over this course of this win streak. They're going to try and avoid leaving either one of these guys out on an island, specifically against Stephon Diggs. They're going to do what most teams do. They're going to try to actively take Stephon Diggs away. That's going to require a lot of help from their safeties. What that means, though, because they are a team that runs a lot of zone, they're they're going to move Diggs around. There's going to be opportunities. Those safeties are constantly going to be looking at not just where Diggs is, but also they're going to be patrolling the middle in the event that their linebackers, who we've talked about, can't don't cover well, can't contain Dawson Knox. Like, you go back to the Kansas City game. They held Travis Kelsey to just 56 yards and a fumble. The way they did it was by having safety coverage in the middle of the field so that their linebackers weren't exposed. Well, I think our wide receiver core is better than Kansas City's right now, don't you? Yeah. So if that's the case, then what you have to try to do is identify where are they sending the help, and now i got to try to attack the outside corner who doesn't have it. They're going to need to take advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves. And they're going to have to rely on our boundary talents in Davis and, I don't know, whoever else we have on hand to capitalize on it. Chris, I don't know about you, but I think that this is the perfect John Brown game. Makes sense. I mean, I look at it like this. They have no tape on his utilization. He's shown us in the couple appearances that he still has some juice He's a potential for a mismatch in terms of veteran know-how and speed against a raw rookie and an average starter. I feel like this is a game where you could roll out a John Brown. And if nothing more, if nothing else, Chris, it forces them to go farther into the well to bring out another DB to line up with you in dime because now you have Gabe Davis playing a slot where he's made all of his he's done all of his damage over the course of his professional career. You could then also get mismatches away from digs, away from the center of the field where they're patrolling a safety. I just feel like running this. I mean, this sounds like I'm playing Madden, but a John Brown addition to this offense and running more four wide sets could get the Bills in some really great positions offensively. Chris, do you have any predictions for this one? I think that Buffalo's going to win. By how much? The line is one, and we've joked one and about, a half, maybe <clears throat> a field goal. We've joked about taking the under. You literally can't here. I think I would take the under. No, no, no. I didn't. I mean, I mean, taking our opponent with the points. Like we've talked about, they cover the spread all the time. Not last week, but we've talked about how all of our opponents have taken, like they've beaten the spread. Here's Buffalo favored again on the road by one. You can't take them with the spread. So I'm not going to be surprised if we win on a last second field goal again or something or if it gets to overtime. 
So you think it's going to be one in the last five minutes of the game? Yes. Interesting. I don't know. It's it's tough for me to call because, again, this is a team that you could be winning by 20 points and then losing very quickly just because of the abilities of their offense. It's The, the Bills are going to have to slow the game down. Like I, I saw somewhere earlier in the year that there was a team that let them have 100 snaps and just got run out of the barn. Yes, your offense is going to have to possess the ball. You're going to have to eat. To, like not just, hey, we need a scoring drive. You need to also play keep away. It's like those, remember those old Tom Brady teams? Yeah. Where you're like, oh, if you give them the ball with two minutes left, you lose the game. It has that same feel to it, where you're going to have to make sure that you not only score points, that you not only maintain the lead, you not only are disciplined and innovative with your play calling and all these things, you also have to win the time of possession and the critical time of possession. Down the stretch, you're going to make sure that you're not leaving them with, hey, we've got a three-point lead, but also we left them two and a half minutes to work with. That's a mistake. You lose that football game because then they'll go for it on four downs and it's, it's a mess. I genuinely believe that our offense's ability to utilize the running backs, eat clock, and still churn out point-producing drives is going to be the difference in the game. I think we do that better than they do. I think the Bills win, but to your point, it's it's a narrow margin of victory. It has to be, right? The Bills can't afford to lose this. Everything feels like it's on the line in this one, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, we've talked about the historical, the historics behind having that bye week, the win percentages that come afterwards in the playoffs, what home field advantage does in the AFC Championship game. 80% of the like, last decade, 80% of the wins have come from for home teams. This, this game decides it all. It really does. It's crazy. I can't wait to see how it unfolds. But for tonight, we're going to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this has been your Week 17 Preview. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.